Genesis has three main themes regarding uh, God that run throughout the book. Uh, he is the God that speaks, He is the Lord of history, and He is the Lord of creation. And at the fundamental basis, He is the God who reveals Himself grace. Uh, we saw that God spoke through, uh, 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 in the book of Amos, uh, through the man of God Himself. Uh, he spoke through visions and oracles. Uh, oracles is direct speaking through the prophet. Uh, and then He spoke through creation itself to hear people to be able to hear what He has to say in His revelation to them. There are oracles in other, in other prophets as well, and uh, other books, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Obadiah, Obadiah Nahum, uh, Zephaniah. All of these have oracles from God, passages of Scripture that are directly God speaking to His people through the prophet. And these passages show that all nations are accountable to Jehovah God. In fact, Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 8 tells us, when the Most High divided to the nations their inheritance... When he separated the sons of Adam, he set the bounds of people according to the number of the children of Israel. God divided and gave the nations their inheritance, and they are accountable to him for their decisions on what they do with that land. By the way, may I add, that includes America today as well. We are accountable to God for the decisions that we make while we're in this land. Even if the nation does not have the word of God, the moral law is written in all human hearts, and therefore they are accountable to God. Our very conscience tells us that kindness and respect for human life and for others' property is necessary. Every society has laws regarding these areas. Even if they are not practiced, the laws are typically there. And even though God has written on our conscience as moral law, and even, fact that, uh, even the fact that He exists is seen in creation. We must be busy reaching the world around us to share the perfect revelation, Jesus Christ, to the whole world so that they can hear the truth of the gospel. And Jesus will judge everyone in that last day. And everyone will stand before Him and give an account for their life. And there is no one without, with excuse. But until then, God does work through the nations of men to bring blessing to those who follow Him and judgment to those who reject His truth. As we read these verses, you'll notice a fourfold pattern in each of these oracles. First, we'll see in the origin of the message, where that oracle is coming from, the scope of the message, what's going on, and the punishment that's involved because of the scope or because of what happened. And then often, not all the time, but often a concluding emphasis on where this is coming from or who it's coming from. You'll notice a common phrase, for three transgressions and for four. And this doesn't mean that they committed three or four or even seven sins. Okay? It's an idiom in Hebrew uh, that we might say uh, many transgressions or the one that finally broke the camel's back, you might say. Okay? An abundance of sins. It's an idiom that means that. It speaks to the fact that the whole life of these nations have become corrupt. The sins we are dealing with were intentional sins. God says, I have given you my moral law upon your heart, and you knew that treating people this way was wrong. 
You knew that treating this, this, uh, this land this way was wrong. And you broke that moral law that I gave you in your conscience. Now God is proclaiming judgment on the nations. So we're going to begin with the largest passage of this section that we're going to look at today. Uh, the judgment on the surrounding nations. And that's your Roman numeral one there. The judgment on the surrounding nations. And we need to understand that God's judgments are not arbitrary. They are based upon His character. We'll see that these nations committed crimes against basic human rights and decent behavior. But the idolatry of the nations is also in view in these judgments. They turned away from God. Remember that every man came from Adam and Eve, and God revealed Himself to man. There came a point when the nations pulled away from that revelation and served other gods. And although this section is the larger portion of this passage, I don't want to take a long time to go through this section. So I'll just stop reading every once, in a great, every once in a while and just make an emphasis, especially maybe to the point of you know, those four parts of each of these oracles that we talked about. And so let's look at Amos chapter 1, verse 3. The Bible says, Thus saith the Lord, this is the origin of the message, for three transgressions of Damascus and for four. Now, Syrian kingdom of Damascus was the best and most formidable of Israel's neighbors. He says, I will not turn away the punishment thereof, because they have threshed Gilead with threshing instruments of iron. This is the scope or the reason of the message that's being given to them. Their cruelty is in view here. As a grain or corn is threshed and crushed, the people of Gilead were crushed cruelly as judgment. Or, or the people of Gilead were crushed by this, which is bringing the judgment. Now he comes, now comes the, uh, the punishment. Verse 4, he says, But I will send a fire into the house of Haziel, which shall devour the palace of Ben-Hadad. I will break also the bar of Damascus, and cut off the inhabitant from the plain of Avon. And him that holdeth the scepter from the house of Eden, and the people of Syria shall go into captivity unto Kerr. That's the punishment. Then he says, saith the Lord. This is the emphasis of the origin of this message. It carries authority. God himself, Jehovah, is giving this message. He continues in verse number 6 and it says, Thus saith the Lord, another origin of another oracle. For three transgressions, uh, transgressions of Gaza and for four. Now Gaza is the principal city of Philistia. Uh, so this is the Philistines that he's talking to. He says, I will not turn away the punishment thereof because they carried away captives, the whole, uh, captive the whole captivity to deliver them up to Edom. Here's the scope of their sin. He says, but I will send a fire on the wall of Gaza which shall devour the palaces thereof, and I will cut off the inhabitant from Ashdod, and him that holdeth the scepter from Ashkelon. And I will turn mine hand against Ekron, and the remnant of the Philistines shall perish. Here is the punishment. And then he says, saith the Lord God. Here's the emphasis of the origin. Then he starts another oracle to another nation, a foreign nation, the surrounding nations around Israel. And he said, thus saith the Lord. Again, there's the origin. This is where it's coming from. It carries authority. He says, for three transgressions of Tyrus and for four. Now, this, Tyrus is an important Phoenician city to the north. He says, I will not turn away the punishment thereof, because they delivered up the whole captivity to Edom and remembered not the brotherly covenant. Now, that, that brotherly covenant that we're talking about here is when David had a covenant with Hiram, the king of Tyre, to have peace. But they didn't listen to that covenant. They didn't hold to that covenant. Verse number 10 says, But I will send a fire on the wall of Tyrus, which shall devour the palaces thereof. Thus saith the Lord, for three transgressions of Edom, 
and for four. Here's the, here's the, uh, uh, the origin. He says, Israel and Edom, uh, uh, by the way, Israel and Edom are often spoken of as brethren throughout Scripture. Uh, they're more closely related than any of the other nations that were around them, okay? He says, I will not turn away the punishment thereof, because he did, re, uh, he did pursue his brother with a sword, and to cast off all pity, and his anger did tear perpetually, and he kept his wrath forever. He says, but I will send a fire upon Teman, uh, which shall devour the palaces of Bozrah. Thus saith the Lord, now he moves to the next one, for three transgressions of the children of Amnon, and for four. Ammonites were descendants of Lot, and they were east of Jordan. He says, I will not turn away the punishment thereof, because they have ripped up the women of the children uh, uh, with child in Gilead, that they might enlarge their border. It's an incredible cruelty. He says, but I will kindle a fire in the wall of Rabbah, and it shall devour the palaces thereof, with shouting in the day of battle, with a tempest in the day of the whirlwind. And their king shall go into captivity, he and his princes together, saith the Lord. Here comes the next oracle. Thus saith the Lord for three transgressions of Moab and for four. Now Moab and Amnon were very closely related. The border of each other, uh, uh, they border each other and often work together with, quite, with a lot of cruelty. He says, I will not turn away the punishment thereof because he burned the bones of the king of Edom into lime. This is a sign of endless hate and vindictiveness. It, history tells us that the lime from the king's bones was used to plaster the walls of the next king's palaces. Incredible cruelty and spitefulness used here. Verse 2 of the next chapter, he says, But I will send a fire upon Moab, and it shall devour the palaces of Kiriath. And Moab shall die with tumult, with shouting, and with the sound of the trumpet. And I will cut off the judge from the midst thereof, and will slay all the princes thereof with him, saith the Lord. You get the picture here? The Lord is angry with the cruelty of people on the earth. These surrounding nations have but each been given a warning and a prophecy saying, God is speaking, because of this sin, you're going to be judged physically here on this earth. As we can see, God does not take cruelty to people or others' property lightly. And Christians should not only show concern for the life of others and their property, but when our bodies and property are infringed upon, we can take great comfort in the fact that God knows and He will repay. Amen? We don't need to worry about vengeance because vengeance is His. Amen? And God will take care of us. And so those were the foreign nations surrounding Israel. But now God, almost as if in the same breath, He moves in verses 4 through 16 to the judgment of His chosen people, Roman numeral 2. He says in verse number 4, Thus saith the Lord for three transgressions of Judah. This is His own chosen people now. And for four. I will not turn away the punishment thereof, because they have despised the law of the Lord, and have not kept His commandments. And their lives caused them to err, after the which their fathers have walked. But I will send a fire upon Judah, and it shall devour the palaces of Jerusalem. Thus saith the Lord for three transgressions of Israel, and for four. I will not turn away the punishment thereof, because they sold the righteous for silver and the poor for a pair of shoes. That pant after the dust of the earth on the head of the poor, and turn aside the way of the meek, and a man and his father will go in unto the same maid, to profane my holy name. And they lay themselves down upon clothes laid to pledge by every altar, 
and they drink the wine of the condemned in the house of their God. Yet I destroyed, yet destroyed I the Amorite before them, whose height was like the height of the cedars, and he was strong as the oaks. Yet I destroyed his fruit from above and his roots from beneath. Also I brought you up out of the land of Egypt and led you forty years through the wilderness to possess the land of the Amorite. And I raised up your sons for prophets and your young men for Nazarites. Is not even thus, O ye children of Israel, saith the Lord? But you have the, ye gave the Nazarites wine to drink and commanded the prophets, saying, Prophesy not. Behold, I am pressed under you as a cart is pressed that is full of sheaves. Therefore the flight shall perish from the swift, and the strong shall not strengthen his force, neither shall the mighty deliver him himself. Neither shall he stand that handleth the bow, and he that is swift of foot shall not deliver himself, neither shall he that rideth the horse deliver himself. And he that is courageous among the mighty shall flee away naked in that day, saith the Lord. The judgments now move on the judgment of Judah and Israel. Their specific sins are related to their failure to live according to the revelation that God had given them. The Bible says, For unto whomsoever much is given shall much be required. Luke chapter 12, verse 48. They had been given the oracles. They had been given the prophets. They had been given the law. At first reading, it may seem that these offenses are minor in comparison to the other nations were ripping apart pregnant women. The cruelty that they had in killing woman and child was unbelievable. And yet these offenses don't seem anywhere in comparison. But God says, I gave you my law. You knew what was right, and yet you still rebelled on what I revealed to you. Amos is exposing the underlying causes of their sin. Five main issues are identified among God's people as the root of their sinful condition. We're going to look at those quickly as we, as we close out this section. First of all, letter A, they rejected God's law. They rejected God's law. It says, because they have despised the law of the Lord and have not kept His commandments. This leads the charge from all other sins, and this is where all other sins will begin. You see, the path to sin begins with unbelief. We don't really believe that that sin will harm me. We don't really believe that God, hath God said, as the devil said to Eve in the garden. See, sin has a leading cause. Show that graph that I have up there on the next slide. It starts with unbelief. I, you don't truly believe what the Bible says, what the law says about this sin. That unbelief goes to a lack, and you see, well, I'm lacking something. I'm lacking pleasure. I'm lacking food. I'm lacking whatever the case may be. And so you have a desire because of that lack, and you want to do something, and so you desire to fill that lack. And then comes the temptation. Okay, we can fill that desire. We can fulfill that. And then comes the sin, the yielding to that temptation to sin. It starts with the unbelief, the rejection of God's law. It's often been said that this book will keep you from sin or sin will keep you from this book. 
We need to determine that we are going to believe God's Word. Amen? Hearing God as He speaks on the pages of God's Word is the very basis of knowing God and obeying God. But far too many Christians today do not care enough about God's Word to read it, to study it, to meditate on it, and to obey it. And that is just what God expects of His people. Psalm 119, verse 105 says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Read it to see the path that you ought to go. You've got to know what it says in order to know how to live this life. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15 says, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. We need to not just casually read it, but we need to go further and study it. Dig into it. See what the words mean. You say, well, I don't really understand the Bible, okay? Get a dictionary. And you come to something you don't understand, look it up. Because, you know, a lot of times we think we understand what words mean. But whenever we look it up in the dictionary, we go, whoa, that's not exactly what I was thinking. And it opens up a world a whole lot more than what we think. He says, study God's word to show thyself approved unto God. Joshua 1.8 tells us, This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night. That word meditate comes from the Hebrew word that, that, comes from our, that we get our word ruminate from. It, like a cow ruminates on something, chewing the cud. He chews on something and swallows it down to one of his stomachs. And I won't go further than that as far as what happens for somebody that might have a weak stomach. But does just suffice to say that there's multiple stomachs, okay? There's a way for it to get there. Okay, but you chew it over and over and over and over and run it through, getting all the nutrition you can out of it. That's what God says we need to do with the Bible. We need to run it through our minds constantly. Think about it, process it, go through it. Pull every ounce of nutrition we can from it. He says, Thou shalt meditate therein day and night that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. We're responsible for all that is therein. But we've got to know that it's there, amen? For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. Let's ask a question. Who wants to be prosperous and who wants to be successful? I do. Why aren't you raising your hand? We all do. No, I want to be a failure, Pastor. That's my goal in life. No. We all want success. We want to be prosperous. Well, God tells us in this verse, this is how you have... By the way, the only verse in the Bible that has the word success. He says, this is the way that you're going to be successful. He says, this book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For when then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. Meditate on God's word. Carry three by five cards, small papers with you. Put them around the house where you'll see them. And meditate on those scriptures. And just run it through your head. And ask the Lord, Lord, show me what the, how this applies to my life. Show me how this is this. Show me a verse that you want me to do this with. Meditate on scripture. Think it through. Study it. But then he says that we need to memorize it too. Psalm 119, verse 11 says, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. You want to conquer sin in your life? Memorize the word of God. Find scripture that deals with that issue, whatever it is. It's different for all of us a lot of times. That sin that so easily besets us is different for all of us most of the time. 
But find verses in the Word of God. If you need help, let me know. Say, oh, but you'll know it. Maybe say, oh, who cares? We're all fighting this struggle together, amen? Hey, the church is not supposed to be a museum to showcase our spirituality. It's supposed to be a hospital where the wounded are helping the wounded. That's what this church is. If we come in here showcasing our spirituality and putting on our mask, this church does no good. We are all sinners. We are all struggling. We are all fighting the same battles that we're fighting. Let's help one another. Amen? Memorize God's Word. Let's help each other find the verses. Pray that God will lead you to the verse that will help you. Meditate on it. Study it. Memorize it. Get it deep down in your heart. Don't reject God's law. This is what will keep you from sin. God's people did not treasure God's Word. They did not keep His commandments. And that sin led them to judgment. One of the main commandments that they did not keep was God's command to have no other gods before them. And this is the second sin they were guilty of, idolatry, letter B. Rejecting God's word and idolatry are very closely linked. G.K. Chesterton said, When men stop believing in God, they don't believe in nothing. They believe in anything. Let me say that again. When men stop believing in God, they don't believe in nothing. They believe in anything. They don't want to be accountable to God, and so they'll just take anything to believe in that will allow them not to believe in God. Amos here is speaking of a common theme seen in Isaiah, Jeremiah, and many others. God is not willing to share His people with anyone else. He is a jealous God. And He wants us for Himself. Idolatry in its most basic form is placing anything or anyone in God's place as first in our life. The most important, the preeminent in our life. Idolatry is not a sin of the past. It's a sin that we see everywhere in America today. It's prevalent in our own culture and even among God's own people. The idols may look different than the days of old, but they're idols nevertheless. Tim Keller in his book, Counterfeit Gods, says, An idol is anything more important to you than God, anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God, anything that you seek to give you what only God can give. That's an idol in your life. Our idols can be things like our identity, we need to have our identity centered on being God's child, not what we do for work, not what we do in the church or anything else. People get so much trouble when they put their identity on anything else but God because things change, but God doesn't. We lose a job. We lose our fortune. We lose our house. We lose our family. We lose our children. We lose our spouse. But God never changes. Keep your identity where it belongs. Our money becomes an idol. When you, when you pursue money with more fervor and more concern than seeking God, it has become an idol. 
God says, I will provide these things for you. You need to seek me first, and all these things shall be added unto you. Entertainment becomes an idol. People are obsessed with entertainment. It becomes a drug that soothes our hurts and helps us forget our pain for a time. We should be turning to God for this. We're seeking something that only God should supply. Is all entertainment wrong? No. But it is wrong whenever it becomes more important than our walk with God. When we go to it to seek what God should be supplying in our lives. Our family, our children can become an idol. Our family is a blessing from God, no doubt. But if our family becomes more important to us than God, our priorities are wrong. I have to have my walk with God if I have any hope of being the kind of father and the kind of husband that I need to be. Amen? We need to keep our priorities right. Get your focus in the right place on God. Everything else, He'll help us with. There are many other idols in this world, fame, success, things, materialism, many more. Idolatry was one of the charges against God's people, and it's still true today. So he talked about rejecting God's law. He talked about idolatry. Thirdly, he talked about oppression and sacrilege. In Amos, God's people were guilty of selling the righteous into slavery for silver or even a pair of shoes. Makes me think of the, whenever I was living in the Chicagoland area of hearing stories of, of teenagers killing other teenagers just so they could have their shoes, their Air Jordans or whatever that might be. Took away a life for a pair of shoes. It's nothing new. It's nothing new. The Bible speaks of it right here. They panted after the dust of the earth. It, it's a poetic way of saying that they wanted the land of the poor, so they deceived them and sold them into slavery so they could have their land. It's evil. This was God's people doing this. They turned, aside the way of the, uh, uh, they turned aside the way of the meek. They didn't do what was right. And denied justice to those who have no means to gain justice. Man and his father go in unto the same maid. They were guilty of uncleanness and, uh, and speaks of depravity that God's people have stooped to. Verse number 8 speaks of taking a pledge as a guarantee for a repayment of a debt. Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 10 through 13 speaks of this. He says, When thou dost lend thy brother anything, thou shalt not go into his house to fetch his pledge. Thou shalt stand abroad, and the man to whom thou dost lend shall bring out the pledge abroad unto thee. And if the man be poor, thou shalt not sleep with his pledge. In any case, thou shalt deliver him the pledge again when the sun goeth down, that he may sleep in his own raiment and bless thee, and it shall be righteous unto thee before the Lord thy God. God's law laid out a plan for having a pledge for a loan. And they were breaking that law. They were going against it and treating people badly. Today we say, charging unreasonable interest with your brother, taking advantage of those that are poor for your own gain. God does not like that. These verses speak to abuse of power, a contempt for the poor, and cruelty toward others. So they rejected God's law. They went into idolatry. They were oppressive 
and they were sacrilegious in the things that they did. Fourthly, we see that they forgot history. Amos 2, 9 through 10 here talks about what God had done for them. And that letter D there, forgetting history. He says, yet destroyed I the Amorite before them, whose height was like the height of the cedars, and he was strong as the oaks. Yet I destroyed his fruit from above and his roots from beneath. Also I brought up from the land of Egypt and led you 40 years through the wilderness to possess the land of the Amorites. They do not remember how God had helped them in the past. He had given them the land. He had cleared out their enemies so they could live in peace. He had rescued them. He had cared for them. He had fed them. He had led them. Yet in their unthankfulness, they went to other gods and ignored God's law. God has likewise rescued us. He has given us new life, and we ought to walk in that newness of life. And yet when we go our own way, we trample underfoot the grace and mercy of God. We are His. We are bought with a price. We do not have the rights to do our own thing. We are to present our bodies a living sacrifice to Him. 1 Corinthians 6.20 tells us, For ye are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. We are to glorify Him with what He has given us. And the fifth sin we see, a lack of discipline. He says, and I raised up your sons and your prophets and your young men for Nazarites. It is not even thus, O ye children of Israel, saith the Lord. But ye gave the Nazarites wine to drink and commanded the prophets, saying, Prophesy not. We may not understand the, 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 the sin involved here unless you know, understand what a Nazarite is and what the importance of the prophets. But God had called their sons to be Nazarites, a special called people to a purpose for God. But He required of them certain things, and they vowed to do these things. One of them was to not drink uh, alcohol, not to drink of the wine. In fact, they didn't even touch anything to do with the fruit of the vine. They stayed completely away from it. And yet, the children of Israel encouraged their Nazarites to drink wine and break those oaths. God called some of their sons to be prophets, to proclaim what God had said to them, to warn them and to encourage them and give them the words of God so that they can be prosperous. And yet they command them, don't speak out. Just, just be quiet. We don't want to hear it. Do you hear the audacity of these people? When God gave them revelation straight from God to hit them. They said, shh, we don't want to hear it. But is that so different than what we do today? We close our ears. We close our eyes. We don't pick up this word throughout the week. We don't seek him when he has revealed himself to us. Is it really different than what they did? Someone has a conviction in an area that you do not hold to, speaking of the Nazarites. 
Don't discourage them. Don't attack them. Don't go after them. Don't make fun of them. Don't look down your nose at them. Don't assume that they are judging you because you're not following the same example that they're doing. Just let them answer to God and know that you will answer to him for what he has convicted you for. Amen? Just let them be. You know, a lot of times, whenever we see someone else convicted about something or doing something or not doing something, and it bothers us, usually it's because God is trying to tell us something. It may not even be that we need to do that. It may be that we're saying no to something else God is telling us to do, and we know it, and it troubles us. Don't be judgmental of other people. You know, the Bible even says that those who will not eat meat offered unto idols, and then it's free for some, and some feel okay doing it, and some don't want to do it, and uh, specifically for that, uh, that area, era of time uh, especially. But, and some have a conviction, some don't. He's saying, God calls the one with a conviction the weaker brother. They need more help from God. So their, their conviction is God's way of helping them. Don't stand in judgment of the weaker brother. Just let them be. Let God handle them. Amen? In turn, we have been called by God. We are His. We are His people. We are His chosen. And as such, we have a responsibility to do as He has commanded us to do. Just as the Nazarites were responsible to fill their vow, we as Christians are responsible before God to do as He asks us to do. Having now identified their sins, He announces their judgment. Verse 13, He says, But I, behold, I am pressed under you, as a cart is pressed that is full of for sheaves. Therefore the flight shall perish from the swift, the strong shall not strengthen his force, neither shall the, de the mighty deliver himself. Neither shall he stand that, day, that handle of the bow. The skilled archer will stand no chance in that day. He that is swift of foot shall not deliver him. No one will be able to outrun this judgment. Neither shall he that rideth a horse deliver him. One of the mighty uh, uh, uses of, of war in that day, no matter how fast, a horse can outrun us. The fastest, fastest runner is not going to outrun it, and the fastest horse isn't going to outrun it either. He that is courageous among the mighty shall flee away naked in that day, nothing to protect him. The strongest man will not even be able to stand in that day, saith the Lord. God has revealed to his people his expectations in how they should live their lives. When our lives continually do not meet his expectations, we can expect judgment as well. The New Testament term is chastisement. In the day of grace, he says, does not a loving father chasten his own son? We can expect to be chastened when we refuse to listen to God. All nations have some revelation of God. Some revelation. What theologians call the general revelation of God. Romans 1.20 says, For the invisible things of Him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, 
being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. They can see the power that he has by the creation around them. They have no excuse because they know there must be something greater than them. The reason people don't want to believe in a creator is because the natural thing that happens means I'm accountable to him. And people do not want to be accountable to God. God's people have been given special revelation, specific revelation. And such, as such, we are responsible to follow all that is written therein. That's a big ask, isn't it? It is. But for unto whom soever much is given, of him shall be much required. We have been given salvation free and clear. We have been given the word of God to hold in our hands and to read, to study, to meditate on, to memorize. We have the ability to do that. As other people from the past didn't have that in their hands. It was held in the temple. It was held to a thing or they heard a prophet from time to time. But we hold within our hands the entire revelation that God wants to reveal to us. And we got to read and see in first-person accounts of how the perfect revelation of God, Jesus Christ himself, lived his life and taught his people. We hold that. What a privilege we hold. The average home in America has four to five Bibles. The average home. And yet so many of his people do not open it during the week. We've been given the word of God. We're responsible for what we've been given. I remember one time I was bought an electronic. I looked at it and I said, I can handle this. I don't need the instruction manual. I know what I'm doing. I proceeded to use that equipment without reading the warnings for that equipment. And I destroyed it. I had within my hands what could have saved me from wasting this money. It wasn't a small amount either. But because I refused to listen and my pride dictated what I was doing rather than humbling myself and learning from others, I destroyed what I was trying to work with. We've been given this life. People say, I wish children would come with an with a instruction manual. They do. They do. We just need to read it. We just need to study it. We just need to meditate on it. We just need to memorize it. My mom had a Bible verse for everything. I mean, everything. It was unbelievable. And she'd quote a Bible verse here or there. You know, and she used the Word of God to raise us. She used the instruction manual. That's why it turned out so good. Just kidding. That was my dad's fault. No, just, <laughs> just kidding. We have the instruction manual for this life in our hands, yet we don't do anything with it. We don't do enough, at least. We've been given the Holy Spirit of God to dwell in us, 
to lead us, to teach us. And yet we grieve Him and ignore Him. We have been given so much that we not be guilty of the same sins that Israel and Judah were guilty of. Do not reject God's law. Oh, I would never reject it. Are you opening it? Then you're rejecting it. Do not make any idols. Put God first in your life. He is priority in every part of my life. He is priority. And what He says to do is first. Don't be guilty of oppression and sacrilege. Don't forget what God has done for you. Remember history and how He has saved you and what He has saved you to become. Fulfill what God asks us to do. Serve Him with all of your heart. Let's learn from their mistakes. And let's choose to follow Christ. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for today. I thank you for the examples that you have set forth towards us in the Word of God. You have shown us not only by command and saying thou shalt, but you have also showed us by example of those that have followed you and those who have not followed you and how each of those turned out. And thank you, Lord, for giving us your word. Help us to treasure it, Lord. It may be evident in our lives and the choices that we make how much we treasure it. Pray that you bless us now, Lord, as we go into this invitation time. We'll just sing one verse of invitation. I pray that you speak to your heart of your people. If there be anything that you have spoken to them about, may they stop at this moment and pray, and Lord, forgive me. Help me to do better. Help me to read the word better. Help me to treat people better. Help me to be able to remember what you have done and be able to treat you with the respect that you deserve and the preeminence that you, reserve, you deserve. Whatever it is, you have convicted the heart of your people as you have convicted me. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to take this time as we sing this one verse of invitation and yield our hearts and lives to you and say, Lord, please help me do better. We love you, Lord, and we thank you. In Jesus' name, I pray these things. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing one verse of invitation. I surrender.